Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. I am James Johnson, and as always, I'm here with my good buddy, Nick Houston. Nick Houston. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing well. You know, we've taken a break for a couple of weeks. We have. So glad to be glad to be back this up and running. Actually, our I think our anniversary. We started this podcast uh, about a year ago for Lent last year as we did the Romans Road thing. Yeah. And uh, so here we are about a year later. It's been a, it's we been made a it heck a of a year. Right. Uh, <laughs> of course, the podcast is the only thing new that happened in the past year. Uh, you know, everything else is totally normal. We didn't know how necessary this fresh expression was going to be. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's been good. I, uh, just as a little, take a moment to do a little uh, retrospection and think a little bit about where we've been and what we've been doing over the past year. Uh, this podcast has been, it's been a lot of fun to do. I think it's been informative. I think people have enjoyed it. The 12 listeners that we have really really appreciate it i don't have any idea how many people listen to this but uh <laughs> i keep asking you to check that I, I well you know it's hard to check i can't check um you know we can check to see who shows up on the on the webpage. we have it so many different places though yeah so it's on spotify it's on apple podcasts and uh you can subscribe there if you're interested in doing that i saw that amazon it looks like has podcasts now too is that right yeah well, we could put it up on there too um it'll be everywhere but it's hard to check the numbers. Like I tried to check it on the on Apple to see how many listeners we actually have, and uh, their software isn't up to date yet, so hmm. they don't have enough information or something. I don't even know how that works. But we know people are listening because they talk to us about it. That's right. Yeah, uh, they do. And so we appreciate all of you out there who have decided to join us in our conversations throughout the past year. It's been a fun year, and we're looking forward to uh, another year to come. Um. We are now moving into Lent of 2021 and uh, doing something a little, a little different this year than we've done in the past. Um, we connected our, uh, our Advent and Lent devotions together to try to tell a single story, um, the story of uh, Abraham and a story of uh, Exodus and exile and on all, connecting all of these big Old Testament uh, ideas together and trying to map them onto the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as well as onto our call as the church. Uh, we started with the stars in the sky for Advent, and now we're moving into the sand on the seashore, which um, I have to say, I think Creative Services did a fantastic job on this book. I got a lot of, I've heard a lot of compliments on just the feel and quality of this book. I know, after the conversations I've had with Elizabeth Shaby about um, kind of the tactile experience. Yeah. Um, and how we form memories, um, having that sand on the seashore in that sandpaper like feel. <laughs> I, I did, I picked it up and I went, okay, that was cool. <laughs> I wanted to do the whole thing in sandpaper, but apparently that was cost prohibitive. <laughs> I was like, you know, it'd be good. People can get used to this book after they're done reading it. They can sand down their tables and you know, whatever else they need to do. But uh, we had people in uh, Sunday school yesterday, as we do in a Sunday school class that also follows uh, this this Lenten devotion, uh, talking about that sandpaper feel on the on the title. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, so well done, Elizabeth Shaby and Creative Services. This is a fantastic uh, document you've put together. Um, we still have a few of these left at church. If anybody uh, out there hasn't had one, hasn't gotten one yet. Um, and, uh, we also do a digital version that goes out every day uh, on email, which actually has some really cool 
interactive things uh, this this year that we're trying uh, that we've implemented. Um, so uh, very very excited about the journey that we got have ahead of us. We are actually into the uh, first full week of Lent, but I want to start today by talking a little bit about uh, what came before with Ash Wednesday. Um, you've taken a look at this, Nick. Uh, let me just throw it to you real quick and ask you, uh, what are some of your initial thoughts as, as we look into the first little half week there with Ash Wednesday? So I, I, it is interesting to me that as the devotional is set up to really address community and that first... the. I mean, you, you always do this in your devotionals, but how the questions are addressed, not only to the individual, but also how the individual is part of the community. And so yeah, having questions addressed to the church and how, how the text, how the lesson is applied to the church yeah, um, and not just the person. There was one place in the course of this where I just wrote, I don't think that way. Um, <laughs> you don't think on the level of the church you think more on the i think we're we're trying to think on an individual level when it comes to our faith yeah quite a bit um particularly in the in the traditions that you and i grew up in um it's about a personal relationship with jesus christ and and uh and how we're doing individually how our hearts and minds are and and that's important for sure um but i think with um with these books one of the things that um i'm trying to do with these and with classes and everything else is, is to try to get people to think on a more uh, ecclesial level, on a more church level, uh, community level, um, and how that really informs uh, our faith and what we think about God and the resources that, that are provided in being part of a community for our faith. You mm-hmm. know, I believe uh, because of the community I'm part of, not because of, you know, me sitting alone somewhere, even, you know, even if I have my Bible with me or whatever. Um, so faith is definitely community based and I want people to, to think on that kind of level, think of themselves as part of the community. And I like the consideration. I, I, th- I think of it in terms of my vocation at the church. Like part of my job is thinking about the church at Northside church as an organization and, um, what is our impact in the community? What is our impact on our members? What is our impact on people who are not members of the church, but just live in the community with the church? Um, how, how wide do we want to construe that community? You know, is yeah. it Buckhead? Is it Atlanta? Is it Metro Atlanta? Is it, what is our community? The yeah. world, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it is interesting to get some of these questions and think about, okay, as a church, how do we respond to them? Yeah. Um, and where do we see ourselves as part of a larger body of Christ being active taking action and living out the principles that we're called to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I, I don't know I would, if I would think as much that way, if it weren't for my job being to think that way. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I think, I think a lot of us are like that. Um, and maybe that's, I mean, that's part of my job as well, right? The, the role that I play here is, is, is to think about discipleship and, and in, the, in the context of a church. So it's easier for me to think that way as well. 
We try to balance that community level speak though with uh, some of these prayers that we put in here. I think um, are they're mm-hmm. focused on the individual, or they speak from an individual level. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of balance there because both both levels are important. Uh, absolutely. Did the prayers in this come out of the Book of Common Prayer or another resource like that? They came out of, so in the back of the book, you'll see we have endnotes in this book, uh, which is something we've rarely done in the past, but um, they came out of, a lot of them came out of the Book of Common Prayer, or the Common Book of Prayer. I can't can't remember what it is. I forget it. The Book of Common Prayer. Uh, A lot of them came out of that. Uh, Some of them came out of a little book called St. Augustine's Prayer Book. Uh, and then uh, there's a bunch of them that came out of a little little book by Anselm called Proslogion, which we've actually used in the past. But all mm-hmm. all prayers, uh, all prayers that came from, they're all prayers that have come from the tradition that we're a part of, uh, as well as there are some written prayers in here. Uh, Elizabeth wrote some of these prayers herself. So um, okay. So there's there's a there's a, a smattering of different kinds of prayers and different different sources that we drew them from. Um, but I've been, I've been, I was really impressed by them. So I think they fit well with what we're trying to do here. And in the first um, kind of week and a half, I see what, like, we've already covered like four Psalms. Yeah. Um, is that going to continue? Yeah. So yeah, on, uh, on days that we don't have a reflection. So on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, there is a, uh, a Psalm or some other uh, reflective piece of, of scripture uh, that, is, that is put in there as a way to, to not just engage scripture, but also as a prayer almost. So mm-hmm. it's a way to kind of engage the scriptures and pray. And then we have throughout a lot of, uh, a lot of ref- reflection activities, kind of uh, devotion and practice, we like to say, where you, you actually take the book, you know, and you write in it, or you take a piece of paper mm-hmm. at home and you write in it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, just like you have, Look about that. I've already scrolled in it. So <laughs> Wait, I see some highlighter in there. You you did. I did. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, it's, it, it, it's a book that is, is a, um, it's a lot, it's a lot more, I think, than what we've done in the past. And I'm, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. We kick, so we kick off. We kick off Ash Wednesday. We kick off Lent with Ash Wednesday. Uh, and Lent is that season where we talk about confession and we talk about repentance. We talk about um, how we have failed to live faithfully, uh, you know, how we have, have fallen short, so to speak, as Romans would remind us that we're all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and so in the context of what we're doing here in our, in our Lenten book, um, we're talking about uh, the slaves in Egypt. And well, yeah, and your kickoff, very first sentence of every story of salvation begins with captivity. Yeah. Um, and then the question here on Ash Wednesday is, are we ready to confess our captivity? Yeah. What do um, you think about that? What does that make you feel? Um, I, the, the idea kind of develops further into, do you even know that you... Are, you've got to know you are a captive in order to escape. That's right. Yeah. Um, and sin has that way of being so subversive and underhanded. Like it, I feel like it can very, very much be like the frog in a pot that as the heat turns up, yeah, you just kind of simmer in it versus being like thrown into boiling water. You would immediately jump out. Yeah. Um, That's a good metaphor. I like that. Yeah. And so to 
to be aware and be able to say, no, I'm, I'm stuck in something. Yeah. Um, and the only way to begin to get out of that is to know that you're stuck. Yeah. And just confess that. I think it, so with Lent, you know, we were covering the same material year after year. So it's always, uh, you know, sometimes it's a challenge to find something new to say, um, or something. And, and it, we get, we get caught up in these same reflections or same scriptures, same passages, uh, that sometimes we, we don't really pay attention or really don't listen. Um, and this, so this year, this focusing on the idea of being enslaved by sin or being captive to death or being in captivity this year, you know, the, the idea of, of the Egyptian, uh, enslavement of the Israelites is a powerful metaphor for Paul and for a lot of other new Testament writers. When they talk about how we're enslaved to sin, uh, particularly for Paul, uh, he talks about this in Romans a lot. So we maybe recall this from, from Romans road last year, but, um, this idea that we, just like the Israelites were enslaved to Egypt, we are enslaved to sin. And just like they're forced to make bricks and, and do the, the mortar and the straw and all that, that's exactly what our lives are. That we are building bricks, bricks of sin and death, basically enslaved to sin. Um, and of course, the idea is to get out of that enslavement. And the idea is to move forward out of that and, you know, cross the Red Sea of our baptism and, and into the wilderness and following God, you know, to the mountain of God or whatever, however you want to say it, to the promised land. But uh, before we even get that far, this idea that we have to be aware that we're captive in the first place, I think is something that a lot of us don't spend a lot of time reflecting on. You, I feel like you've got to know what you're missing. And so for us growing up in the church, I think this language is all very familiar and we kind of get it. But if I was trying to explain Ash Wednesday to someone who did not grow up in the church. Yeah. I think it would be really difficult. How would you even start that conversation? I don't, I don't even know, but it's something that we should be able to talk about. Right. Well, you know, and I think, um, we get that opportunity. Ash Wednesday is one of those, one of those things that I think come up in conversations with other people mm -hmm. more often than other things, because a lot of people are already familiar with Christmas and Easter. They have their own kind of conception of what that is. And it may not be a Christian perspective, but they have some idea of what's going on there. Uh, and, but Ash Wednesday is one of those things that my grandmother, I think probably yours too, would have said, that's just Catholic. We don't do that. <laughs> so it is something that is newer to my faith. Well, I say newer, I did, I've 20 years now I've been doing it. So, uh, as long as I haven't been doing it, I've been doing it. But, uh, um, it's one of those things where, you know, we get marked with the ashes on our forehead and then you go out in public afterwards and you have that mark on mm -hmm. your head and sometimes you get funny looks and, you know, most people know what that means, but you get some people, I've always, it's never failed every year. Somebody's asked me, what is, why do you have, you got a little something on your head there. What, what's right. that about? Right now, sometimes that's uh you know, it, it, oftentimes that's in a situation where I have a moment to try to explain that or talk about that. You know, sometimes it's in the grocery store when you're picking up. I remember one year I went to the grocery store after, uh, Ash Wednesday and, and this woman was like kept doing this like pointing at her forehead or whatever she was like she was trying to get me to realize I had something on my mm -hmm. <laughs> on my head right uh, and I obviously didn't have the time or I didn't take the time I should say to try to explain to her what was going on but um, I don't know what I mean what do you even, where do you even begin with something like that I think that's the big first hurdle to Christianity or to um, becoming a follower of Christ is, is Ash Wednesday? You, no, not Ash Wednesday, <laughs> but how are you exposed to knowing that there's a difference, that you're captive to something that you right. want to get away from? Right. Um, like we had this conversation with the Sunday school class about the length of the enslavement. For the, the, right, yeah. How long the Hebrews were enslaved. And it, 
I almost kind of wonder after so long of being enslaved, if you didn't still have people who remembered what it was like to not be enslaved. Right. Um, what would that have been like? And how comfortable you get in, well, this is just the way things are. Yeah. Um, I mean, them, when they do get delivered from enslavement and let out of Egypt or forced out of Egypt, <laughs> one of the first things they say is, we were better off back there. Yeah, let's go back. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's one of the astonishing parts of the story. Um, you know, you said... It, how easy would it be to become comfortable with enslavement and not to not to in downplay uh, slavery or anything like that but we are an astonishingly um adaptable people humanity and i think we become comfortable with a lot of things in our life that were we to step outside of it for just a moment and see something else you know see a way that life could be otherwise we would hate that we were living the way that we live Right. Or that we were in a situation that we're in. You know, I think of a lot of people who, um, you know, a lot of people who suffer from um, some mental uh, mental illness or, or like depression or anxiety or uh, people who suffer with long term grief or people who suffer with um, what's the word I'm looking for? Trauma. Like trauma, and and it's it just becomes part of the way you see the world. It just becomes part of who you are, and then yeah. you, it's not that you're, it's not that you feel good or that you're really comfortable, but you become complacent with it, or you become mm-hmm. this is just the way it is, and so I have to just press through, and and really what's going on there is you, you're you've been enslaved, you've been enslaved, you're held captive by something in your life that it doesn't have to be that way, or at least there are steps you can take toward getting better or doing doing more. Uh, with your life or seeing things in a different way. And yet we constantly see this, I think, in a lot of people's lives, in all of our lives. We have these things in our life where we just kind of get lulled to to sleep a little bit. And I suppose the answer to my question is that the life that we live as believers and what we model in the world, you know, yeah, in conjunction with the Holy Spirit moving is what illustrates for people that they're stuck in something and they, there could be a better way. Yeah. Um, that, that would be the moment where you realize you're captive to something because you see somebody who's not right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's the city on the hill stuff, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. Being the light of the world, the city on the hill. Um, and yet I, I wonder, I, one of the reasons why we're, we're talking about this, uh, during the first steps here of Lent is I wonder how, how truly free of those things do we live as Christians, you know, in the church as individuals? I see us, I see us following a lot of patterns of the world more, you know, uh, more patterns of the world than we probably should be, uh, and not being as transformed by the renewing of our minds, right. As we, as we want to be to go back to Romans and talk about uh, Romans chapter 12 again. Um, these patterns of the world are what's uh, are just as uh, have us just as captive as, as anybody else. Um, and that's, that's what we're talking about. when We're talking about being captive to sin and being held captive to death and sin. We did talk about sin, um, in Sunday school yesterday a little bit and, uh, something we don't often talk about around here we don't really talk about sin we don't really have an idea i I think a clear idea of what sin is um 
and uh, you know I saw that in Sunday school yesterday. Kind of we I heard the same answers that I've always heard. Right? Yeah, sin is sin is uh, anything that's against the will of God. Right? Which is absolutely true. I mean that, that is a good definition of sin, but doesn't really grasp the full nature of what sin is for us. Uh, how much reflection have you done on on sin? Like when I when I talk to you about sin, what what comes to mind for you? For me, it is what separates us from God. Yeah. Um, you know, that... What does that mean, though? Like, unpack that. What separates us from God? Yeah, Anything that well, separates us from I God. I liked your... I mean, what you started with, that um, things that are not, not in God's will. Yeah. Um, so what separates us from God is being in opposition to God. Right. Um, you know, living outside of his prescription for life. Yeah. Like this is, here's Jesus Christ. He's here to show you how to live. He gave you this, you know, these instructions and modeled and that's the move. And if you aren't doing that, then. Right. See, and I think here's where we, um, I don't disagree with any of that, but I think this is where we, we become blind to, the power that sin has to to truly hold us in captivity because we often think of sin as i think the way that you're talking about and the way that that i've talked about in the past we talk, we think about sin as something that we do right it's it's, it's an action that we do that is against the will of god mm-hmm. but that's not really the way the bible characterizes sin that's not really the way that doesn't that, that undercuts and undersells how deep and entrenched sin is in our lives in our minds in our hearts Sin is not just actions that we do. Surely, we sins are something that happen. We do sin in that way, but sin as a larger concept is something that that corrupts our will. It corrupts our vision, so that we can't even see the world correctly. Hmm. And that's not even about action yet. I mean, the reason why we sin in the first place, why why we do actions of sin, is because we're not seeing the world right. We're not we don't have a a clear will right we don't we have what we what we want to call a free will right where we can just go about willy-nilly and do whatever we want uh but a free will is a sinful will right wills should be our will should be aligned with god's will and our will what we desire what we want even before we get to action how we think how we feel all of those things are saturated in sin like we've been corrupted at a level that it starts way before we even take the first step, way before we even decide or uh, make a decision or, or act on anything. Sin has already got us. And I think until we can step back and look at that and see that, we're not... Because if, if you feel... Does that make sense, what I'm saying? It does make sense. I think what you're describing is, um, yeah, making the distinction between an action and all the stuff that goes into how you make choices. I mean, I want to say it's like sin as a worldview. No, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, is what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, I think that's versus right. Versus sin as a thing that you do. Yeah. Um, it's a whole perspective mm-hmm. of, of how, how we see it, how our thoughts come together, how the world comes together for us. And the reason why that's important is because if we only focus on sin as something that we do, then all we do is focus on the actions that we're doing. 
right? And we've had this conversation many times mm-hmm. on this podcast about, uh, you know, trying to hit a checklist of things that we're supposed to be doing and things that we're not supposed to be doing. Right. Um, and man, human life is about so much more than that. I mean, what we do is incredibly important. And at the end of the day, it's that it's those kinds of actions that we do that, that, that shine the light of Christ. But when you meet someone, when someone walks in the room who, uh, you know, uh, is, is filled with the Holy Spirit and has faith, it's not, it's not what they do that shines. It's their whole spirit and presence, right, that does that. Faith is the only cure for sin. It's the only cure for sin. And it's not about simply what we do. It's about changing that perspective, healing the way that we see the world, giving us some kind of transformation of imagination. Um, I think, that, and that's where the real captivity is, where our hearts and minds are being held captive to sin. So even so much so that we can't imagine a world other than a sinful world. We can't imagine a world other than outside of that framework. I'm with you. I get it. It is a much, it is a much broader more all-encompassing way to describe sin yeah i mean yeah i absolutely have thought of sin as those things that i do or um let's see what is it in that uh, the things that i've done and left undone um yeah sin as failures to act when i knew i should have acted right um but to really step back and take the view of a world constructed in sin means that you think you think in sin, like your, yeah. your decisions, the way that you process things are in that corrupted way. And if that's the case, I mean, just think about how trapped we actually are. Um, if, if the way that I think about the world, the way that I think about myself, my family, my church, my job, everything, if the way that I think is corrupted, if the machinery of my brain is corrupted, if it's broken, I can't think my way out of that then, right? I can't think my way to a clear understanding of who I am, a clear understanding of who uh, the church should be, a clear understanding of who even God is, uh, because my, my mind itself doesn't, is broken, doesn't have the, the ability to do that. It takes an outside source for me to be able to see clearly. It takes somebody revealing to me the truth. Right? I mean, it's like... uh, Yeah, so there we are with that very first... In order to be set free, you've got to be captured by something. Right. You Um, you start in captivity. Yeah. Um, Now, the way out out of captivity... Um, is uh, particularly captivity to sin, but as we're talking about all this, is to confess, right? The confession piece. That's a huge part of Ash Wednesday, huge part of Lent. Mm-hmm. It's an ongoing spirit of confession. And um, not just confessing, and again, and, and this gets back to what we've, we've just been talking about. It's not just about confessing little things that I've done wrong or big things that I've done wrong, things that I've done wrong. It's about confessing the state that I'm in, right? It's about confessing how hopeless my situation is, right? Um, how does confession play for you in, in this process? Um, I think that gets really interesting in light of the, the way you've constructed the idea of sin where it's so pervasive that you're 
the choices you make, the thoughts, even like sin as a worldview, that then to confess sin, I won't even say your sin because we're talking bigger. Um, I do wonder that there's got to be, I don't know, I would think there would be then progressions of where people are and how much they're able to confess, like how, what, what parts of your sin nature are you aware of? Yeah. To be able to say, God, forgive me for this mental process, this worldview, forgive me for this action, forgive me for this inaction. Um, do you think that like as a Christian, a switch gets flipped and now you're completely aware of all sin mm-hmm. and you're able to completely repent of your <laughs> whole, you know, like it's a much bigger. Yeah. I do think, I do think that there is a, um, a level at which you, you become aware of sin on, on this deeper, deeper level right now. You don't, you don't know the fullness of it. You don't, you, that takes, you know, that takes the Holy spirit revealing that over time. But um, I'm reminded of like the story in the gospels where um, Jesus talks about the two guys who are praying, right? And one of them's a Pharisee and he's using all these words. He's trying to list out all the bad things that he's done or whatever. He's just mm-hmm. talking loudly and in, loudly in the temple or whatever and, and praying his prayer of, of confession and forgiveness. And then you have the tax collector who won't even come close to the temple who just beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And that's it. That's the whole prayer. Mm-hmm. And he, and, and what does Jesus say? Jesus says, that's, that is a true prayer. Right. Whereas the other guy, I don't even know what's going on there, but this guy, this tax collector who says simply, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, so there, and, and again, what is that? And what does that prayer encapsulate? Right. He, what is he confessing? He's not trying to confess his sins. He's just confessing who he is, the state of who he is. I am mm-hmm. a sinner. Have mercy on me. I don't, I'm not even fully aware of my sin. Like I will never be fully aware of all the ways that I have participated and done sin. So try to listing out, try to, trying to list out the actions that I've done wrong is going to be a pretty fruitless enterprise. Really just, you know, I don't even know. I don't, I know that, you know, I'm not even sure that's what confession is supposed to be about. Confession is about confessing (laughs) how much we need God and, and the state that we're in. And, you know, of course we're going to, we're going to do things that are against the will of God, but I don't know that listing those things out is, is what true contrition of heart is really about but we have come around over and over and over again because it's true it's there that that confession has to do with where your heart is um what you're what you're motivated by and so that pharisee's motivation for his long wordy prayer versus the tax collector's motivation for his i'm just forgive me i'm a sinner yeah. Um, it's coming from different places. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's really, maybe that's the true first step to, to liberation from captivity to sin is just to try to move in the direction that God shows us, right? To move mm-hmm. in, the, in the right direction toward the will of God. On uh, Thursday's February 18th reflection, Psalm 130. Yeah. I did put a little bubble around the uh, second set of verses. 
If you kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Oh, yeah. But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. Um, I don't know why, but that, if you kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? What does that say to you? Um, that the weight of our sin is overwhelming. That, like, just in the face of God, there's so much wrong done, not just by an individual, but by mankind. Yeah. Like, we've been so unfaithful that nobody's going to, there, there, there is no trial lawyer that will be able to get you off. Um, <laughs> yeah. That it, it doesn't, it doesn't work out. What it also made me think of though, is a long time ago. Um, well, getting married, one of my parents pieces of advice for me was, um, don't keep score. Yeah. And I felt like that was about, you know, you'll wind up being unhappy if you try to keep score in yeah. a marriage. Um, You've done a pretty good job with that. I think I have. I'm still married. I mean, I'm, it's going well. <laughs> I um, but in here, like with God, don't keep score because you're definitely not going to win. Right, yeah. Like, but I also think in marriage, don't keep score because you're not going to win there either. Win. <laughs> you're not going to win. But this also reminds me of... Uh, First Corinthians, right, thirteen, where he talks about love keeps no record of wrongs. Right. Yeah. So, exactly. And, and that's uh, that's exactly. what we're talking about. And so, if marriage is modeled after Christ's love in the church, yeah. then and that see, and that I think that that really speaks to. I just think we we have completely misunderstood the dynamic of how sin works, and and so this is why we continue to be in captive captivity to it because we don't we're thinking of sin as a record of wrongs we're thinking of sin as this thing a list of things that i've done wrong and i don't think god cares about that god doesn't care about the individual mm-hmm. actions that you've done what he cares about is the state of your soul the state of your spirit and the fact that you are enslaved to sin like he wants to this is why the the metaphor of of all of christ's healings uh, when he's healing people of, of blindness in particular, right? Where I was once blind, but now I see. This is, this, is what, this is where we are. This is what sin is. This is blindness. And we're worried about stumbling around in the dark rather than trying to turn on the light, right? So when we keep, mm-hmm. we keep knocking stuff over in our lives or whatever, and we don't, it never occurs to us that there's a light switch, you know, or that we should be looking for a way to get out of the darkness in the first place. Um, and I, I, some people do, and I'm not, this is, I'm being incredibly, I'm generalizing this incredibly. But. Yeah. But I think the sister, the sister thought process to that is we have a human conception, which there's going to be people who are going to agree with us. Um, we like to rank our sin. Yeah. We like to keep up with, we're not as bad as so-and-so right. over there. Right. You know. That, well, you know, I might have lied about that, but I haven't killed anybody. Right. Yeah. You know, I might have done this, but not that. Um, but we love doing that. Yeah. But that is, we, that is done in that mindset that there's this checklist of sins that you should be avoiding. Right. And these up here at the top of the list are the big ones. And, you know, if you can definitely stay away from those, you'll probably be all right, I think that's kind of the conventional worldview about sin or maybe sin is not the word they would use right and wrong, you know, just trying to be a good moral person. Right. Right. Um, 
And, and I think if we think about sin in the way that we've been talking about it, that doesn't work. You know, mm-hmm. I've heard, you know, many people have told me, um, you know, many pastors and teachers and everything that I've had throughout the years, I've heard many times that, you know, all sin is equal and there's no ranking of sin. And it does, it is absurd to think that, to think that me stealing a pack of gum from the store and me shooting you in the head, right? Those are equal sins, but it's not about the actions. You couldn't it's... have shot anyone else. <laughs> well, I'm just looking at you as a... <laughs> All you right. know, me murdering somebody and me stealing a pack of gum, right? That those are not equal, but it, that's that's not the point because it's not about the actions. It's about the state that I'm in that causes me to do those things. Yeah. And and the more we get blinded by that state, the more likely we are to do something that is more terrible, right? So you know, uh, if you're not able to recognize the blindness, the darkness, the captivity that you're in, that we're in, uh, not just not just as individuals, but as a church, you know, Northside Church itself is is trapped in a, it, there's a captivity of sin, and if we're not, we we can be sure that sin is lurking, ready to pounce at almost any moment, right? And mm-hmm. that's true of our lives individually, and it's true of our lives um, uh, on, corporately. on the, corporately. I like your uh, stumble around in the dark instead of trying to find a light switch. Yeah. That was a good one. Well, I think, and I think, I just think that's, I think that's what we're doing oftentimes. And until we recognize that and confess that, uh, we can't, we can't even take the first step mm-hmm. out. We're always worried about what we're doing rather than who we are. Uh, that's where, that's where our problem is. So for the, this first week, we, um, we talk about what is, uh, so we talked about the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. Of course, they don't stay there. God has a plan. God has a, something bigger planned for them, obviously. And Moses shows up and, and you, we get the, we don't talk about this in the devotional, but you get the story of the 10 plagues and you get the, uh, the Moses going back and forth with Pharaoh. And finally <laughs> Pharaoh's like, you know, after the, after the Passover, after the, the angel of death comes and kills all the firstborn males in Egypt, uh, God, uh, Pharaoh kicks kicks the Israelites out. They don't. It's not just a release. They are kicked out, like you mentioned before, right? They're kicked right. out, and uh, they don't get very far before they run into a big roadblock, which is uh, obviously the Red Sea. And I don't know about you, but every time I think about the Red Sea, I think about that moment in Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Have you ever seen that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that moment where Charlton Heston's up there and, and waters yep. part. Uh, it's a, it's a powerful moment. And this is, this is, um, I would say that this, this one event, the Red Sea crossing is probably the most important event in the history of Israel, as far as how their literature talks about it and what this, what this particular moment means, God redeeming the people of Israel out of slavery and, Mm -hmm. and creating them anew. Uh, it's a, it's a metaphor that the church, the early church and, and Paul and other people, other New Testament writers glom onto quite a bit. Like this is, this is, this is a physical historical representation of what it is that Christ is doing for us in liberating, liberating us and redeeming us from sin. We are literally being freed from captivity and, and given life anew through the baptismal waters. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. What is this? You grew up in the church. You went to a lot of Sunday school classes. This story of the Red Sea crossing, what does it, what does it mean to you? What have you, what have you thought about it over the years? So much of it is, I think, focused on the miracle of the parting of the waters. Um, like, what does it mean to hold back the waters of the Red Sea? 
so that the ground is dried out and the Israelites can cross it. Yeah. Um, I think certainly growing up, so much was focused on kind of the physical experience of that moment of walking on a dry seabed with walls of water on either side. Yeah. Um, and then you bring to it this, you know, metaphorical baptism. Um, I guess metaphorical, because while they are in the sea, they're not in the water. Yeah, but you know the water's sprinkling on them. You know it's, you know, you think it's, there's you know, a mist? Sprinkling, it's got to be a mist there's in there, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so that adds a, adds a layer to it as an adult that I didn't um, pick up, you know. Yeah. This is, I mean, for me and, and, and not just me, but for, for others, I, I think this is a powerful moment of, of birth for the people of God. I think before this moment, they, they're the family of Abraham. They're Abraham's mm-hmm. descendants. But in this moment, when they cross the Red Sea and step out onto the other side, there is a, a rebirth that's happening here where they become the people of God in a way that they weren't before. Well, and this is God stepping out and leading them mm-hmm. in a real real way it's yeah. not just one faithful man that's right it is god in front of the i mean whether it's the fire or the cloud or that's you know. that's a great point yeah because you, you have physical representation of god leading mm-hmm. them out right by the yeah, by the pillars and it's the whole people it's not just jacob wrestling god or it's not just uh, you know, Abraham hanging out with three guys who are the Lord, right? It's not right. just, it's, it is an entire people, you know, we don't know how many, how many we're talking here could be as many as a couple million could be uh, much smaller than that, but it's, it's a whole, it's a whole mass of people who are being let out here. So, Jay, on Friday, February the 19th, I highlighted a section in the devotional on page 17. Um, John tells us, if we claim we don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, First uh, John 1, eight. And without truth, there can be no freedom, for it is only when we know the truth that we will be set free, uh, John 8, verse 32. It's good stuff. I like the book of John. I know you like the book of John. I like the book of John, too. Um, you guys are studying that disciple right now, aren't you? We are. I must admit, I have not been excellent on my reading. Um, <laughs> but Catherine asked me to uh, cover for her while she's out at a board of ministry meeting in a couple of weeks. So okay. I'm going to catch up. You're going to better catch up. If you need some notes on John, let me know. Um, but that connection between truth and freedom. Yeah. Um, that in order to be free, you've got to know the truth. Yeah. And anytime I see that word freedom, I always think America. That's right. America. Um, Land of the free. And so we have such a conversation about truth and freedom in a patriotic context. Um, and then it, the truth and freedom are such themes in the gospel. Um, I mean, where we've been talking about enslavement and being enslaved to sin. And right. Paul talks about being a slave to sin. Right. Um, and then being set free. And I guess I kind of wonder, are we talking about very different kinds of freedom yeah or are we talking about the same kind of freedom or yeah it's just i don't know it's, a, it's what do we even mean by free what is, so what does freedom mean to you uh, okay y- yes <laughs> that's a good place to start because okay. in this um in this context when we're reading scripture and we talk about freedom 
I do think of it as a freedom from sin. Like it's a freedom from you're you're free in Christ. So it's a freedom from something. Yeah, that um, it is free freedom from death. Freedom from death. Um, in that patriotic context, I usually think that the way freedom is used means you are free to do whatever you want. Right, right. So it's more like a liberty than it is a freedom. Yeah. So like the there's a lot of different ways to talk about freedom, but the the two that I think come up the most often are uh, the two that go like this: uh, freedom to do. You have a freedom to say that you're free is to say that you're free to do whatever you want or whatever you please. I think that's the way you're talking about it in the patriotic way just a moment ago. Yeah. And then there is the freedom to be a freedom to be what you're supposed to be a freedom to be who you are. And those two things are different and they function differently uh, in the way that we talk about freedom, but also in the way that they, in the way that truth plays into it. Um, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, the freedom that the, the Israelites have in coming out of slavery, crossing through the Red Sea, the freedom that we have from sin, as you were talking about, is a freedom to be. It's a freedom to be who we were created to be. It's a freedom to live into the image of God in which we were created uh, and to truly be, um, to be the, the, the reflection of Christ. Uh, it's not a freedom to do whatever we want. And it's a freedom to, to be who we're supposed to be. I think a lot of times in, in secular culture, in the, in the American sense of the word, the, the way that we talk about it patriotically, uh, we're talking about a freedom to do. Like, we want people to have the right to do these certain things. And, and there is a little bit of freedom to be. Don't get me wrong about that. But usually the, even yeah, the freedom to be that... is connected with what you're free to be to do. You know what I'm right. saying? So, in a, in a sense, truth, I mean, truth is important for both of those. Right, you can't truly be free if you don't know that you're enslaved. We talked about that already, but you, um, the way that truth functions for those two things, I think, is different a little bit. Like, there's a certain amount of you when we're talking about a freedom to do. The truth may be antithetical to your freedom to do. Yeah, that's true. Like you, you, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> you right. might want to be free to do some stuff that the truth would, would not allow conflict you to, with. That's right. Yeah. And, and then you may be doing stuff against the truth and that's not going to get you very far. Right. So what's a right. good example of that? Well, no. well, it's all, I, I think that this whole truth and freedom thing is all tied up in a lot of the, what do you have the right to do conversation? Right. Okay. So let's get back just for a second. Let's dial, dial, get back to the idea of, of this truth and freedom thing that you wanted to talk about. Um, and only insofar as we use those words into very different contexts to the point that we've merged them together. We've merged them together, yeah. Like there's this idea that, I don't know. I have the idea. I recognize a lot of people don't anymore, but I have this very Christian-centered idea of America, yeah. and a lot of it comes out of, I'm reading my Bible, and I see this truth and freedom stuff all the time, Right. and then America. It's truth, truth and, and freedom. freedom. Yeah, and, and those, those connect in your head. Yeah. 
Um, well, uh, and maybe we've not got anything to say about that. No, I, I think that's that's actually a really important. Um, that's really important conversation to have uh, to unpack that truth and freedom stuff that you're talking about. That that confusion and conflation that happens with truth and freedom that we see John talking about in in John, uh, and and the 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 truth and freedom that um, we see talked about in the in the public sphere or in the public marketplace and the idea of America um, are different, and they're they're not. The same, and I think what's happened more than anything is is that we've taken this American idea of truth and freedom, and you know America's truth and America's freedom, and then we've superimposed that onto what John is saying, so that we think Jesus is talking about America. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, and I. What came first here, the yeah, chicken or the egg? Right, but but that's just how language works, though. You know, yeah. when you read a word, however it was taught to you, that's right. what meaning you're going to give to it. Yeah. And what's happened is, we're supposed to be playing the game of football, and we're using this. You know, how you use words is, is a, it's like a game, right? How you use words is how they get their meaning, right? How you use them is how they get their meaning. Right. And so it's like we're trying to play the game of football, but we're setting up. We're playing by different rules. We're setting up like basketball goals instead of uh, field goals. You know, so we've we've misunderstood. So we're still calling it football. We're still calling it football, but we're playing something else, some kind of weird mashup and conflation of two different games. Okay. okay. But we're calling it football, right? So I think the same thing's happening with with uh truth and freedom right we're calling it truth and freedom but we've we've mixed up these ideas of what jesus really means by truth and freedom and what it means on the on the secular political or or patriotic or american side of truth and freedom particularly in the book of john jesus is talking about truth being uh well he's the truth he is the way the truth and the life right and so he is the light that is shining in the darkness so Mm -hmm. the truth is to expose sin the truth is to expose the the kind of stuff that we've been talking about to expose the captivity that we're in to expose the way that we have been shaped by the patterns of this world or the definitions of this you know this world that we live in Mm -hmm. and and to be renewed in in that in that uh, truth and that re- that renewal that happens, that transformation that happens is the freedom that he's talking about. To be set free, you have to confess and know the truth. That is not what Thomas Jefferson's talking about, right? And that is right. not what we talk about when we hear it on the radio or on the news or wherever else. That's America is not about that. Um, it, or at least the, uh, the way that we talk about those terms is not th- the same thing. Yeah. I don't even know. What we, I don't even know if we know what we mean. I don't think we do know what we mean when, when we, we talk, talk about, about truth. Yeah. We may have a common understanding of what we mean when we talk about um, freedom, but certainly my biblical experience with the word truth yeah. has influenced how I understand the word truth when others talk about truth, and they might not have that same yeah. theological, biblical understanding of truth. And we have this ongoing debate in in our country right now and in our context right now about facts and information. And a lot of people get facts and truth confused with each other. Facts are not necessarily truth. You know, you can bend facts and make facts say whatever you want. When we're saying truth, we're talking about the deeper level of meaning that actually corresponds to the world the way it actually is or the way an event actually happened, maybe. That's what we mean when we talk about truth in the in the uh 
public or secular context. It reminds me a lot of when uh, the Colbert report came out. Yeah. Remember that word truthiness? It was like the big word, right? <laughs> uh, but, but when we talk about truth, as we were just talking about, when we talk about truth in the Bible, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is a person that you have to have a relationship with. It's not just a fact that you can write down on, the, on a piece of paper. It's not just something you can hold in your head. Truth is something that you, as someone, that you have to have a relationship with. And that's what brings about the freedom to become like that person who is Jesus Christ, right? Truth in the sense of the, the public sphere, or the political sphere, or the whatever, whatever we're calling this other thing. Right, yep. Uh, this American world uh, is not that. It's not a relational idea. In fact, to make it relational for most people would make it a relative thing, and then truth becomes relative, and it's like, oh, I don't even know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about anymore. And that's, that's the confusion that we have going on. People don't understand what truth is. Just the nature of how truth works, you know? <laughs> and they're getting, they're getting facts confused with truth, and that's just, that's what we're seeing, I think. Uh, and we're talking about something completely different now, but that's part of the captivity that we're, that we're in. Well, and that's, I mean, for me, that's part of any devotional is that I, I might sit down and read the devotional lesson for what it is, but it always might spark some other thing in my head good, or just yeah. the way that the words are used. And then I'm off down this rabbit trail right, thinking right, about yeah, something yeah. else. So here we are letting devotional. What does truth mean in America? What Jay? does truth mean in America? <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, I think this gets back to uh, one of the things that we have been talking about and, and will no doubt continue to talk about, which is sin is a corrupting and blinding force. It is something like in this, in this piece that you picked out um, here. So uh, on, on Monday, the February 22nd, to, to get back to what we're talking about here in the devotion, yeah. on page 27, is sin not only corrodes our bodies, it also corrupts our ability to see clearly the work of God in our midst. It just corrupts our mind. It corrupts our ability to imagine. Uh, it corrupts our ability to um, see and, and, and to understand the world that we live in. So when we're talking about this confusion that we have with truth and freedom and the connection between what Jesus is saying and what, you know, Thomas Jefferson is saying or whatever. Yeah. That confusion is a result of sin blinding us and corrupting our minds and corrupting our hearts so that we can't understand sometimes some people, some, and and oftentimes myself, we get these things confused and conflated and confounded and we don't, um, we don't see clearly, and we need to have that relationship with truth, Jesus Christ, in order to do that. And that's something that has to happen on a daily basis. It's not like one-time moment where you're like, I, I accept the truth of Jesus Christ, and you're done. You're good, right? You, get to, you see clearly the rest of your life. Because as we're seeing, again, sin is lurking. It is, it is ready to pounce. Mm-hmm. And its favorite meal <laughs> is a Christian. Right, its favorite meal is somebody is, a, is somebody who has so much pride in who they are as a, as a Christian that they're like, you know, I I have Jesus Christ with me now. I have the Holy Spirit with me now. I am walking a holy and righteous life. Uh, man, those that that person tastes delicious to sin. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, I've I've been I've been that guy before. I know what that pride does. This continual corrupting force. It's a real deal. So, um. One of the thoughts that came out of Disciple Today that I think heads in that same direction was um, the idea of the old life in sin, but then being made new 
being born again, um, being reborn to new life in Christ. Um, and one of the members of the group said that sometimes people struggle because they aren't, how did she, how was it put? It was something like people are struggling because they haven't embraced the fact that they're living a new life. They're trying to live a better life. Oh, that's good. That I like that, that you, you haven't really given up the old life. You're trying to improve it. Yeah. Yeah. And what conversion is, what Christianity is, what Christ is calling us to is new life. And what Paul speaks to over and over again is new life. And over and over again in this devotional, as I read through it, you know, you've got it in the prayers, this new life. You've got yeah. Paul's, you know, just scripture to, references. Yeah, I was going to say on, on Friday of the week that we're talking about here, the Romans passages uh, from chapter 6. Don't you know that all all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we were buried together with him through baptism into his death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the father, we too can walk in newness of life. Yeah. That's exactly what you're talking about. And so in this kind of conception of sin as a worldview that someone would try to just live life better rather than really recognizing their captivity, embracing the truth and being able to give up that old life and embrace the new life. Yeah. Um, you know, it's fun when a lot of stuff comes together from different places. No, and absolutely. You go, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, um, that's a really good, um, you, you've heard of people who, um, people who have been in prison for a long time and they, they get out and, and then they just want to go back, you know, or they, they are very mm-hmm. uncomfortable with living in freedom. I'm thinking, I think about Brooks from uh, the Shawshank Redemption, right? Who mm-hmm. comes out, uh, who gets paroled and he doesn't want to leave and he's, he's violent. And then when he gets out, he just, he thinks about committing crimes, go back in or whatever. He doesn't want to be out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of mentality, that trapped and, and caged mentality is kind of, um, you, you, you get to this idea where you're so shaped by the walls of your confinement right? that you can't imagine a world outside of this cage. And, um, when when you're called out of that into something new, your 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 uh, first inclination, I think, is to be like, "Well, I'll just polish and clean up this place, right? Right? I can make this place look really nice, right? This cage yeah. can be really shiny, uh, but it's still a cage, and it's not new until you walk out of the cage. But man, that's scary stuff. Mm-hmm. And you have to imagine the Israelites are thinking the same thing. In fact, that's one of the things they do is when they get to the other side of the Red Sea, and they're like, "Yeah, we're free." And then there's nothing but wilderness in front of them. And they have mm-hmm. to absolutely trust God completely in order to survive. The first thing they do is, yeah, we should go back. Right. <laughs> Who wants to go back? Raise your you hand, work. right? You know. Uh, we do the same thing. I mean, and, and, then, and then I think what happens, and just to get back to the theme of the day, sin takes that thought, that fear, right? That mm-hmm. fear of freedom, and then bends it around. So that we think by living in the cage as best we can, we are actually free. When, when we're still imprisoned, we're still captive. And Jesus is sitting there looking at him, looking at him, shaking his head. He's like, bless their hearts, man, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, and I, it is, it's wild to think about sin this way, only because I've thought about other things in this way, where we are kind of captive to our own expectations. Mm-hmm. like. 
you know, I think every child in America at this point has been told that you can be whatever you want to be. Right. You know, if you can dream it, if you, or if you, if I can do dream it, <laughs> I can do it. Yeah. If I just believe it, there's nothing to it. So we've definitely got I an, believe I can fly. <laughs> so we've definitely got an understanding that we are limited by yeah. what we can imagine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and so in the same way, we're limited by sin. Yeah. Like that, that reality of the sin that we're in keeps us from thinking broader than. And that is, um, I, I would say that's, that is the most damning thing that sin does to us is that it, it controls our imagination. And our imagination, our ability to believe, that's what faith is, is this ability to imagine a world, you know, to live into a world. I don't mean imagination in a, in a fake sense or in a yeah, literary sense. Not I mean, pretend. I mean, not pretend. I mean our ability to image the world, right? The, the image that we have of the world in our head. Mm-hmm. And um, as, a, as, a, as a way of kind of wrapping up our conversation today, just to touch on that point that you, that you just made, that's one of the things that, that, I, that is written here on Monday um, for Monday, February 22nd, the second chain of sin is the inability to imagine and escape from captivity. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. And I think that's one, of the, that's one of the most harmful things and the most twisted things that sin does to us is it corrupts our imagination so that we, this, this, is the, this is the kind of thing that happens where we see darkness and we call it light, where we can't see the world properly because we can't imagine the world in, in a clear and free and true sense. And again, the only way to do that is to have that relationship with the person who is Jesus Christ, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Amen, brother. Um, anything else? Anything else you want to talk about for the people? Anything you want to say? I think that was a pretty solid showing. I think we, uh, for, for not having been here for a couple of weeks, being a little rusty, mm-hmm. we had a great mm-hmm. conversation. Um, this is going to be a fun journey. I th- thank you for joining me on this. and Happy to do it. And on this journey, else. we're going to have some special guests. We as are. Well. Yeah, absolutely. We've got, um, we've got Catherine, uh, Reverend Catherine Booth Olson. Olson. We've got Reverend Jeff Rogers. We've got, um, I think Elizabeth Shaby is going to join us. Mm-hmm. And we got the Reverend, Dr. Reverend, Reverend Dr. <laughs> right. The Reverend Dr. Bill Birch going to join us uh, later on in, in this series, um, as well as maybe some other special guests along the way. But I'm looking forward to it, man. This is going to be a good, yeah. good journey. I always like having guests. It's, it's, it's fun to get other perspectives. We need somebody to break up this because... <laughs> We just get in this back and forth, and then we get down. We're talking about something that yeah. has nothing to do with it. Uh, but this is a great conversation. I want to appreciate anyone who has tuned in. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Peace. <laughs>